This is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm your host, Amy Brown. The 20th anniversary of the 9-11 tragedy is this coming Saturday, so this week we're going to take a look back, or better to say a listen back, at how the WERU community responded, what was happening behind the scenes at the station in the hours and days that followed, and how our news coverage was impacted. We'll also hear from an organizer of an event in Bucksport this coming September 11th. We start with a chat with WERU's General Manager Matt Murphy and Program Director Joel Mann. So back on 9-11-2001, Meredith DeFrancesco and I had just started doing Radioactive maybe a year before, within the previous year anyway. And we had recently been talking with Matt and Joel at the station about when it's appropriate to break into regular programming with a news item. And the general consensus was that's only done in pretty extreme circumstances and it's not something we would do on any kind of regular basis. So at that time I was still a volunteer and I was driving to my other job and I was at a Dunkin' Donuts drive-through up in Bangor. And I heard Joel break into the regular programming at the station to uh, send it over to a news program. And I thought, all right, so what the heck is going on? It's got to be big. So Joel, man, why don't you pick up the story there? What was happening that morning at the station? Well, I'd been uh, the program director probably not even for a year. Um, So I came into the station and uh, picked up the phone, got a phone call from a listener. And he said, uh, are you watching TV? And I thought it was a joke. And I laughed and I said, we're a radio station. We don't have any TVs. And he said, you better turn on the TV. So I went into the uh, on-air studio and threw BBC into Q. So it wasn't over the air at that time. Just I was listening to it. The first plane had hit and then the second plane hit. And everybody kind of figured out that it was a terrorist attack at that point. Um, we kind of, Matt came into the uh, station about that time and John Babcock was about to go on the air with On the Wing or, or getting ready to. And we just gathered up everybody in the building and Matt said, so what, what does everybody feel? Are we going to continue with our programming or, you know, how does, how does everybody feel about this? And pretty much everybody said, we don't want to go on the air at this point. And uh, let's put on the BBC. And I think we had the BBC on for a week, maybe um, just keep at least for a couple of days, just keeping people um, informed as to what was going on. But uh, I called my parents down in DC because they live right outside of Washington. Uh, I called my wife to let her know. And uh, it was a pretty confusing time. Matt, do you want to jump in there and say what was happening in uh, your world that morning? Yeah, well, I was in uh, Unity at uh, the Unity Foundation for a meeting, and that's when uh, I found out and they found out. Um, And so I came back to the station and, uh, well, I called Joel first and then got back to the station. And as he said, you know, we huddled up and decided what to do. Um, And, you know, after that, we ran the BBC, you know, uh, kind of compressing the next few days or, or, or a week or so. We ran a lot of BBC. We did other um, information programming that was on, and we also um, played music. And the feedback we got was the information was really, really important. 
and really, um, you know, uh, critically important to what was going on in the aftermath as well. Um, but also the music was very soothing and was there for people because they couldn't listen to BBC or watch, you know, um, uh, NPR or listen to NPR um, all the time. Uh, and so the music was really big thing, but we had, you know, DJs who just couldn't, you know, didn't say anything because what can you say? And they're, um, it, it was challenging for them to do shows. Um, it was challenging, obviously, for everybody, but it was an interesting thing to be on the air during that time. It was a tough thing to do. And calls were coming in from listeners thanking people for doing the doing the music shows. And uh, it was for like for everybody. It was it was a very difficult time um, and kind of uh, that's what it was like for being on the air. Um, every person who was on the air could probably tell you a similar story with some differences that are, you know, personal to them. But we got this, you know, real positive feedback for both types of programming. Um, and, uh, and then it was kind of the start soon after that of uh, ramping up for um, the, the, the nation's response, the government's response to, to the attacks. And so covering um, peace protests became uh, a very common thing for WERU that came out of, uh, came out of that. And uh, it was, I was only a general manager for about six months then. So it was, uh, you know, it, it was, it was something else to suddenly be in that situation that um, I didn't imagine when I came on board. And I'm sure, you know, most people didn't imagine anything like that could happen. Right, right. Well, Meredith and I had been covering these anti-globalization protests. We started out our first couple of shows when Radioactive were about the Penobscot Nation's water sovereignty issues, but we branched out because there was a major anti-globalization movement, anti-corporate globalization movement happening around the world at that time. And so we'd been traveling quite a bit and there was one scheduled, we were planning to leave in just a few days, as I recall, for either New York or D.C., to cover another one of those for the station. And when 9-11 hit, everything just completely shifted gears. And there were a couple of days of trying to figure out what was going on, but pretty quickly after that, there was a big chunk, uh, I'd say the majority of the country and the media were sort of uh, ready for war, for revenge on someone. And there, you know, a lot of the support the troops kinds of messages. And I think the station became a bit of an oasis in that, in that people who did not want to just immediately go to war and who were questioning the targets and the motivations, and then later the Patriot Act and why that was getting passed so quickly and mostly in secrecy were happening, that really did become the focus of the station for probably the next several years, at least. A lot of it uh, in the news and public affairs department with the programs that uh, some of us were doing that were more newsy rather than the public affairs kind of end of things. But yeah, it really did change and reframe and be make the station become a place that people turn to when the yellow ribbons and the we support the troops messages, which you know, on the surface seem nice, but people were questioning, you're supporting them by sending them to a war that, you know, why is this even needed? Why is this justified? So, yeah. I Do you think the listenership increased during that time? 
Yeah, it it very well could have, and and, and um, I think we heard you know the station meant more to people uh, than than at average times. You know that the importance of it became more magnified. So I don't think I don't mean to say that people didn't care before or after, but the importance of what the station did both with music and information and just being, uh, you know, a friend and a member of the community um, being here was important. And I, I, you know, another thing on the inside of the station was when people came to do whatever kind of program they were doing, we always, you know, huddled up and said, all right, you know, how are you feeling? What's this going to be like? Um, what do you, what do you have in mind? And, um, you know, that, that was, that was intense. That was intense for everybody involved. Uh, but our main goal was, keeping the station going and having, you know, programming on that was helpful, credible, and uh, helped support the community for sure. All right. So what the rest of this hour is going to be today on Main Currents is a listen back to some of that coverage that happened in the first few years following 9-11. Mostly on Radioactive, you'll hear Meredith DeFrancesco's voice in there as well as my own. And this spans uh, interviews in the Walmart parking lot with shoppers to uh, speakers at peace protests and people who were just at the rallies. Uh, Yeah, a little bit of everything. So stick around and listen to this. I can't believe it's been 20 years. Amy, could I add, too, that we're very proud of the the programming that we did and very proud of the community for supporting the station and all the volunteers and the staff and our board. It was uh, um, it's something that, you know, not being prideful, but being, you know, very um, feeling like you were part of something very important. So very proud of what we did and the programming that we did. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you both. Okie dokie. Thank you. Just days after September 11th, New York City political performance artist Reverend Billy spoke at the New Chautauqua Gathering in Unity, Maine. He spoke from the perspective of a New Yorker who had witnessed the events in the city. Last night, we had a peace march that went from Union Square to Times Square And there must have been, I don't know, 10, 15,000 people that went on all the way down Park Avenue, all the way down Broadway. It was just a wonderful, a wonderful group. We we were just bombed, and now we don't want people in Afghanistan to be bombed. And it was just, I, I just, I'm here feeling that event, and now I get to go back tomorrow and feel this event. Close the loop. Hallelujah. When I gave my little talk to the, um, to the peace march yesterday in New York, my remarks were something on this, on this order. Tuesday the 11th, we were given a wonderful gift by the, by the people in the towers and the people in the jets. When they went to their cell phones, they knew they were in trouble. They called their loved ones. I'm sure most of them got answering machines. Imagine being a survivor and having that on your machine. 
And they said goodbye. And they said, I love you. And then it happened. My little family watched from the, from the rooftops of Brooklyn, Fort Greene, across the river. It happened at 9 o'clock, 10 after 9, 9.20. And this remarkable passage began. And I swear, I feel as if those I love you's flowed into us. Because I felt like that's what we started saying to each other. From that moment on, we were getting emails from around the world. People in this room, I'm sure, were calling emails. However you could reach people that... I was getting communications from people I hadn't seen in many years. The communications were something like, something along the lines of, I hope you're safe. I'm safe. I love you. And then as we came back into Manhattan, came back to my theater on Lafayette and Bleecker. I was inside the, the cordoned off zone for the first few days showing IDs as you crossed the streets. But there was something remarkable that had changed in the streets of San Francisco. We all noticed it. We were looking into each other's eyes. We were hugging. We were crying. There were, it was a story-rich time. We had a lot to talk about, a lot to share. These 70-foot-tall supermodels staring down on us from the sides of buildings threatening us with, with uh, some sort of cessation of our sexual life if we don't buy their perfumes or cars or whatever, we weren't even seeing that corporate franchise imagery coming out of the chain stores, coming off the sides of the buildings, which had, up to that point, dominated our lives. New York City, of all places, was turning into a mall. Public space was corporatized. Suddenly that was reversed. And the I love you's just continued and continued. I'm a New York City person. Maybe I'm an artist, maybe I'm not. That's a matter of opinion. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but, <laughs> praise be. But I know that artists are not. I follow the New York City tradition of being laden with irony. Amen. Do I have a witness? Praise be. I'm dedicated to ambiguity. I'm dedicated to nuance. I like, uh, I like Beckett. I like Kafka. <laughs> I like the dark ones. Amen. I like the ones that aren't, aren't understood immediately. I don't like the simple stuff. but I love you. There it is. There's no footnote. We're not waiting for a PhD thesis to explain what that just meant. I love you. And, and that's what we've been doing for the last week in New York City. We've been saying that to each other. 
looking right into each other's eyes, touching each other, walking down the street arm in arm. I love you. I'm safe. I'm glad you're safe. Amen. And I feel like that's a gift that came straight to us from the people, the people that passed away last Tuesday. Now, I feel like we have to start saying to each other that this happened. And that's one of the things I've been doing. I changed the name of my church from the Church of Stop Shopping to the Church of Radical Forgiveness. Amen. Of course, <laughs> amen. I like, to, I like to rename my church every morning, you know what I mean? <laughs> because <laughs> I'm, I'm jihad prone myself, you know? I have anger issues, you know. <laughs> I need disposable gods. <laughs> Can I have a drink? I'll get rid of that one. Amen. Praise be. But now, and, and I started speaking in Union Square, which has sort of become our speaker's corner in Hyde Park. And it's not a bad place for that, because, because the, uh, the sweatshop workers, the girls, in the earlier part of this century, they pretty much established the eight-hour day right there. And I think it's a, it's a good place for us, us to start talking about what has been happening in New York City, because it's, it's an issue that is almost as important as that. And I, it felt too soon at first, and some people got angry with me, but that's my job. I'm a fool. I, I say things too, too soon. Too soon. <laughs> Do I have a witness? Too soon. Hallelujah. <laughs> Inappropriate, praise be. <laughs> the church of now, now, please. Amen. But I'm out there and I'm saying, you know what? Has anybody noticed out here, you tough New Yorkers? We've all been saying I love you to each other a lot for the last several days. And we're not looking at the advertising. And this doesn't feel like a mall here anymore. Hallelujah. And let's keep those I, I love yous coming. Let's keep doing that. Let's keep doing that. I love you. I love you. Oh, oh, oh. I love you, baby. Because if we don't juice it up right now, I think right now, with Bush's speech, right about now, with the F-117s flying over there, the I kill you's are starting to replace the I love you's right now. How does that happen? I'm amazed. How could they go together? What relationship do they have to each other? It's a mystery to me. The I love you's are turning into I kill you's before our very eyes. It's happening hour by hour by hour. I was thinking about coming up on the, on the, on the bus today from New York. Why is it happening? I hope to God that because the I love you's were so strong, that isn't what, making, that isn't what is making the I kill you's so strong. I hope that's not the way it works. Is that the logic of, of culture? Is that, it, does it have to be that way? God, I hope not. I hope not. Right now is the time for us, some kind of conscious steering of, of, of our community, recognition of what we've been doing. I don't know how to do that, but I, I, I do know, I do know, I do know one thing has, has been happening. We've been looking into each other's eyes, and we've been saying, I love you, 
That's the one thing I've noticed. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the most sophisticated, theoretical, political guy in the world, but I have seen that. Now, now, the, now the aircraft carriers are going from all over the world, laden with these amazing robotic airplanes that, that, that you know, they, they have the IQ of a human being, and they're like on their way there. I mean, I mean the, the pilots are just babysitters. These are amazing things we've made with the year in and year out $300 billion Pentagon budget bigger than all the other defense budgets put together around the world. We've been the big dog for so long. And I read that the that Afghani fathers are going to the Pakistani consulate and asking for one of two things. Either one is okay. One's a rifle so I can defend my family. A rifle. Asking for a rifle. And the other one is a visa so I can, I can try to escape. They're hearing about, isn't that sad? They're hearing about America. America. Think about that word. It's right up there with I love you. What does it mean to people around the world? It's, mean, it's meant, hasn't it? Freedom. America. What does it mean to the Afghani people right now? We're killing them. We're monsters. Yesterday at the, at the march, I'm not precisely sure how much media we have here, but yesterday at the march, we had, we had people from around the world, and I felt like I was, I was standing inside a geodesic dome of cameras. And what I, wanted to, what I wanted to say right there is I wanted to accept that gift from, from the, the New York City people, people from 40 countries too, but, but my neighbors who, who died on, on, on Tuesday the 11th, accept that gift, accept that I love you avalanche that they began, and use in these last moments before the, the echo catastrophe takes place, the, 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 neck, the new bombing, which, God, I hope it doesn't happen. But we're, we're, we're like at that moment right now. We're like in that fuselage. We're, we're, the, the, the stewardess is tied up. There, there, there are people with knives. We're, we're, we're watching a jet come across the city way too low, right at our office. We're in that kind of moment right now. If we, if we have the compassion to share with the Afghani people what they're going through, we're in that moment right now. So what I wanted to do was, was, was to use... Use that media last night as a new cell phone and send a message. Send a message around the world. And I know, I know that a lot of Afghani people are outside of the media sphere, but I, I have to imagine that they have dusty little radios out there. I just, wanna, I just wanted to believe that on some level that perhaps doesn't have anything to do with media. Amen? But, but some sort of message could go out around the world to them. And they could know that there are some people here who, who, who are not in those airplanes, who are not bombing them, and are doing what we can to stop the bombs. And that message would be the same message that we're giving each other. And so I want you to join me right now in sending out that chant. It goes like this. We are safe. We hope you're safe. We love you, everybody.
We are safe. We hope you're safe. We love you. We are safe. We hope you're safe. We love you. We are safe. We hope you're safe. We love you. We are safe. We hope you're safe. We love you. We are safe. We hope you're safe. We love you. We are safe. We hope you're safe. We love you. We are safe. We hope you're safe. We love you. We are safe. We hope you're safe. We love you. We are safe. We hope you're safe. We love you. Hallelujah. I hope that went out there. Praise be. You're listening to Main Currents on WERU-FM. I'm Amy Brown. Today we're listening back to some of our post-9-11 coverage. These clips date back to the first few years after 9-11. They originally aired on Radioactive, which I co-hosted with Meredith DeFrancesco at the time. You'll hear her voice briefly. And the now-defunct Voices program here on WERU. In near-record time, with only one public hearing and with very little debate, Congress passed the so-called anti-terrorism bill, and Bush signed it into law last Friday. The law greatly expands the power of government agencies to spy on people and to secretly search the homes and offices of people they say they suspect of being a terrorist or having associations with terrorists. Baldacci, Allen, Snow, and Collins all voted for the bill. In addition to the erosion of civil liberties, there has been concern expressed that the word terrorist has not been adequately defined and therefore the government has very broad power to call anyone a terrorist. Gregory Nojim, Associate Director of the American Civil Liberty Union's Washington office, says, quote, These new and unchecked powers could be used against American citizens who are not under criminal investigation, immigrants who are here within our borders legally, and also against those whose First Amendment activities are deemed to be threats to the national security by the Attorney General, close quote. In fact, in a statement made to Congress last May, then-FBI Director Louis Free said the following, quote, The second category of domestic terrorists, left-wing groups, generally profess a revolutionary socialist doctrine and view themselves as protectors of the people against the, quote, dehumanizing effects, close quote, of capitalism and imperialism. They aim to bring about change in the United States through revolution rather than through the established political process, end quote. Were most Americans happy to relinquish their rights in the name of patriotism or security? Well, that's a two-way tricky question right there. Um, well, yes and no. Um, we have to um, give up some of our rights to protect our children. And which rights do you think we should be willing to give up? Um, well, we have to um, be more protective. We have to stand by our children more, um, keep an eye on them. Um, as adults, you know, as adults, um, the children should be able to go on with their everyday normal life, and it's, you know, it's affected them. Are there things in the in the Bill of Rights in particular, like our, our actual rights as Americans, that you think that if we did give up, the children would be more safe? No, I think they're doing it anyways. They've been trying to drag us into this war for eons. Who's been trying to? These people. I mean, look how long they've been in the war. They've had this war between the two countries, you know. Are you talking about Israel and Palestine, or, or I'm not sure which countries? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Afghanistan and Hanun Hussein, or however you pronounce him. Yeah. 
So, um, so which... The thing is, I mean, we're trying to stick with the people. He doesn't care about the people. He says the people over there, they treat him like dogs. It's, you know, anybody that doesn't fight for him, he considers them as dogs. And that's not right for them either. So, I mean, America is um, sticky by them, you know, those people. And he's also um, uh, supporting the people that are not involved in the war by um, sending over food for them and stuff, you know. In terms of um, things that are in the Bill of Rights, are there any of those freedoms that you think are things that people should sacrifice right now? Absolutely not. Yeah, I would. And what freedoms do you think people should be willing to give up right now? Well, I... Uh, really, well, searches and, and stuff like that, I would, I would, you know, let them go in without a search warrant and stuff like that. You'd let them go in anywhere without a search warrant? Yeah, I think I would. I mean, if you, you don't have anything to hide, you, you, you would let them. I would. Are there any other um, rights that you think people should be willing to give up right now? Oh, gosh. Probably if you named a few. I... We've actually got a copy of the Bill of Rights with us just to kind of refer to. So we've got the First Amendment, which is about freedom of speech, of religion. Uh, you know, freedom of speech, that's, that's the main one. I mean, you ought to be able to say what you want as long as it's not hurting someone else. But. Okay, and how about uh, freedom of press? Uh, I think a lot of stuff that's been shown on television shouldn't be shown. But, I mean, while the military is in action, it should be, I think it should be completely... No, you know, not shown until till it's over. How about the uh, right to peacefully assemble and protest? Oh, no, that should be that, I, that. That should stay. That's what America is. I mean, it, you know, I mean, as long as it's not violent. I, I wouldn't give up much. I guess, really, not for patriotism. Oh, I think in in times like this, if there has to be some some things done that might infringe on somebody a little bit. It's, if it's got to be done, it's got to be done. I don't know if I like the idea that they can tap my telephone or stuff like that, but I don't know. I don't really know what to tell you other than that. I don't like that one. How about you? I, I agree. I, I believe that the, those of us who have nothing to do with what's going on shouldn't be ones that are, are losing. I mean, I, I deserve my privacy. <laughs> I don't want anybody listening in on my phone calls and stuff like that, so... Do you think that there are some freedoms that um, people should be willing to give up? I guess it depends. Could you give me some examples? Well, I have the Bill of Rights here, actually. That's one of the things that we're wondering about is whether or not people think there's anything in the Bill of Rights specifically, freedom of speech, freedom of press, uh, freedom to um, peacefully gather and protest, any of those things that you think people should be willing to give up? No, I really don't. How about you? No, I don't. I I totally agree, and everybody having the, their freedom to do what they feel they need to do, and especially in a time like this, they need to express the way they feel. Would you be comfortable with people ta- with uh, any tampering at all with the Bill of Rights? Any what? Any tampering with, at all with the Bill of Rights? Tampering? No, I wouldn't be comfortable with that. I mean, if, if it, once you start chewing away at the Bill of Rights, you're you're basically chewing away at the Constitution of the United States, which stands for what we stand for and it's what the rest of the world looks to us uh, as a model Uh, that's a a very special document it was the first one of its kind ever to exist and most constitutions of democratic states have been based upon our constitution so if we start to erode 
our constitution, you're saying in order to save liberty, we have to destroy it. Giving up nothing. And I'm an ex-Vietnam veteran. <laughs> I've spent, I spent two years in Vietnam, and I think the country's going about it the wrong way. How do you think the country should be going about it? You really want my total opinion? I think we should drop a bomb and get it all over with. Drop a nuclear bomb? Yes. On Afghanistan? Yes. Uh, just Afghanistan, or do you think the problem ends there? No, the problem will never end there, but that'll take care of 90% of it. On this historic day, January 18, 2003, the people of this nation, from the deep south, to the plains of the Midwest, from the farm workers of California to the factory workers of the East, are united to make King's dream a reality, to end war, hatred, and racism. But we are not alone. Rejecting war is indeed global. In Gaza, Cairo, Tokyo, to London, Paris, and Toronto. Solidarity is rising, and we will overcome war. And you, George W. Bush, you stand alone. You are not the answer. Your militarism is not the answer. Your globalization is not the answer. Imperial domination, colonial policies, and economic slavery are not the answer. Racist profiling, racist profiling, mass arrests are not the answer. Your USA Patriot Act are not the answer. We are the answer. We are the answer. Standing here today before thousands of young people that have come to D.C. to show the Bush administration that we will not fight his war for big oil. Executives of Exxon and Mobil, and we know that this war is not in our interest. We know that the people of Iraq are not our enemies. We know that the money that is used to pay for Bush's military toys is money that is being taken out of our public schools and our scholarships. George Bush cannot tell us that he is fighting for freedom abroad because we know that he is the enemy of freedom here at home. As they plunder our social programs, take away our rights, and force millions of people into devastation, I ask, what do they care about freedom?
you're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. I'm your host, Amy Brown. What you're hearing today, at least in this part of the program, are some clips from our post-9-11 coverage 20 years ago as the 20th anniversary of that tragedy approaches on Saturday this week. Up next is some of the reporting we did as we followed groups who were occupying the senator's offices in Bangor, trying to get someone to listen to them to stop the build-up to war. This is the second of a two-part special, following a group of people from central, northern, eastern, and mid-coast Maine, as they brought petitions and messages to the offices of Representative Mishu and Senators Snow and Collins, and then went back a few days later for their responses. The group had delivered petitions with more than 1,000 signatures asking the congressional delegation to take back the authority to declare war, which had been given to Bush months earlier, and also asking them to acknowledge that it is for the United Nations Security Council and not for the President to determine when and if UN Resolution 1441 had been sufficiently violated by Iraq to warrant the use of force. They also asked the congressional delegations or the representatives of them that they spoke with to have public forums and perhaps even a Senate and Congress recess where the senators and congresspeople would go back to their constituents and hear their opinions in large town meetings and forums. So what you're about to hear is the group as they first went to Representative Mishu's office and then later at Senator Collins' office. This is Rosemary Winslow, one of the spokespeople in Mishu's office. He was asked, and he's still adamant at this point in time, uh, he's very comfortable for where he stands in his vote. Uh, at this point in time, he does not feel there is a need to go to war. Next, the group went to Senator Collins' office, where Collins spokesperson Judy Cuddy met with them and read a statement from the senator. We are just coming back to see if Senator uh, Collins has a an answer for us. Yeah, she, she faxed a letter for me, mm-hmm. so I'll take the time to read it. I will yes, try to thanks. speak up so you can all hear. Thank you for taking the time to submit your petition on Iraq and for stopping by my office to discuss this very important issue. I appreciate your taking the time to do so. On October 11, 2002, in accordance with congressional responsibility to approve the use of the U.S. Armed Forces, The Senate approved a bipartisan resolution offered by Senators Lieberman, McCain, Warner, and Bayh to authorize the use of force against Iraq in the event that the Iraqi regime fails to comply with the UN Security Council resolutions calling for the removal and disarmament of its weapons of mass destruction. The resolution passed overwhelmingly by a vote of 77 to 23. The resolution expresses congressional support for efforts to work with the United Nations to disarm the Iraqi regime and to enforce relevant Security Council resolutions. In addition, if the President determines that force is necessary, he must make available to Congress within 48 hours of exercising the authority granted him under the resolution his determination that reliance on diplomatic or other peaceful means alone will not protect U.S. national security and will not lead to enforcement of uh, Security Council resolutions. On November 8, 2002, nearly one month after the resolution passed the Senate, the UN Security Council voted unanimously to support a new UN resolution calling on Iraq to disarm its weapons of mass destruction once and for all. 
The resolution set a clear timeline for Iraq to accept the new inspections regime and states that Iraq shall provide a currently accurate, full, and complete declaration of its weapons of mass destruction programs. In addition, the resolution states that false statements or omissions in the declaration shall constitute further material breach of the Iraqi regime's international obligations. With the passage of the new UN resolution, the world community has spoken with one voice and has stated clearly that Saddam Hussein can no longer be allowed to violate his international obligations. On January 27th, February 14th, and on March 7th, 2003, Hans Blix, the chief UN weapons inspector, reported to the United Nations Security Council on the progress of inspections in Iraq. Mr. Blix stated that although Iraq has cooperated in certain aspects of the inspections process, very serious concerns remain about Iraq's weapons of mass destruction programs. In particular, there are concerns that Iraq continues to produce anthrax and VX nerve gas and that Iraq maintains munitions to administer these deadly agents. While his reports were not a categorical condemnation of Iraq, they nevertheless shed light on Iraq's failure to fully comply with UN Resolution 1441. I have consistently advocated multilateral and diplomatic means to resolve this crisis, and I have called on the administration to share information and intelligence with the United Nations Security Council and inspectors. I am therefore pleased that on February 5th, Secretary of State Powell presented American intelligence on Iraq's chemical, biological, and nuclear weapons programs. I remain hopeful that the inspections process and diplomacy will help disarm the Iraqi regime. The burden of maintaining peace, however, clearly rests on Saddam Hussein, who must comply fully with the conditions the world community has placed upon him and allow unfettered weapons inspections to disarm his weapons of mass destruction. The coming days are critical for the diplomatic effort to disarm Iraq peacefully. The UN Security Council will likely vote this week on a new Iraq resolution offered by the United States, Great Britain, and Spain. The result of this vote will help to define the course of our diplomatic efforts and any congressional actions over the next days and weeks. If diplomacy fails to disarm Iraq, the administration will need to make a strong case to Congress and the American people that military action is required to defend U.S. national security and to enforce the relevant U.N. Security Council resolutions. Nevertheless, I continue to believe the United States should give diplomatic means and pressure from the United Nations more time to work and that military force should only be used as a last resort. But sincerely, Susan Collins. Are you saying she has read the petition? Of course she's read the petition. Yes, definitely. When we were here on Friday, we asked if the senator would sign on to the resolution revisiting the question. Uh, apparently, here, that's not... In, she I'm not hearing not much in reference to the right. petition in that letter. Could you say I know that? that she has the petition, mm -hmm. and I know that this is her answer to it. I can't um, answer any more about that. We consider it a huge emergency crisis in our lives and for our children in this country. So I consider it a huge national security issue that their recess be called and congressional representatives can come home to listen to their people. Here, here. I'm Frank Pitcher from Deer Isle, Maine. And you were with the delegation of people that just went back today, Monday, for a response to Olympia Snow's office, right? 
what happened? Um, we did not get a response. There was not a response. And uh, the representative in the office basically said, I have not gotten any response back from her yet. But he expects to have one at some point soon. Any idea about when? He did not give us that information. I support all my brothers and sisters in the military. And I say the quicker we bring them home, the safer we'll all feel. I need a break. Thank you. Mainers join others around the world engaging in civil disobedience and mass protest in response to the Bush regime's war. At the federal building, 12 people sat in front of the lobby doors and refused to move after being denied access to Collins' office, where they'd planned to deliver a statement outlining their reasons for opposition to the war. Instead, veteran Dud Hendrick read a statement to a Collins aide in the lobby, and then the group sat on the floor awaiting her response. The statement, which unfortunately didn't record well due to proximity to the metal detectors, read in part, quote, We have called upon the senator to oppose this elective war through vigils, petitions, letters, emails, faxes, and phone calls. All of our efforts have been ignored or trivialized by form letter responses. We know of no other way to have our voices heard. Through our presence here today and our action, we go on record as opposing this war and further that we support the impeachment of all officials of this administration for high crimes and misdemeanors. We charge that Senator Collins, by her failure to stand against Bush, will be as guilty as he of war crimes and we hold her accountable. Close quote. Here's what some in that group had to say shortly before they were arrested. This is a picture of a group of children that Jim Harney took a picture of when he was in Baghdad in January. I've been looking at this picture now for about three weeks. This little boy in particular in the center of the picture who's making eye contact (laughs) and looking right at us. And these children are probably alive today. It's quite likely that these children are alive today. We don't know if they'll be alive tomorrow, and that's why we're here. I'm Rob Shatterley from Brooksville. A democracy has to work on the basis of the government and the media informing the, the citizenry to the best of their ability about uh, what the issues are and what is in their interest. And we now have a country that is informing us with, with fear and lies and misinformation, and this is no longer a democracy. And uh, that's at the heart of the problem now. My name is Nancy Galland from Stockton Springs. It's important to stop business as usual when our country has taken on an illegal and immoral war. Uh, it's important that people get uncomfortable. We're willing to be uncomfortable. We want other people to be uncomfortable. We want to send the message that these are not comfortable times, that it's these, this is extreme, and we are willing to do things that are little out of the ordinary. We're willing to stop business as usual. We're willing to stop our lives as usual because other people's lives are being interrupted out of our control. And it's unjust, it's illegal, it's immoral, it's unprovoked, it's unnecessary. And we have no other recourse at this point to make our voices heard. And meanwhile, at Olympia Snow's office, another affinity group delivered a similar message. And you know, I'm sure that what she's doing is important, but somehow I feel that, you know, dead people, dead women, children, well, I, very good. If, if, yes, yes, if, if you would. I, I think the scheduler is misused because they can fit something in. 
and Jeff is uh, laying on the floor with a couple of other people now uh, locked together at the uh, neck with bike locks. Why are you doing this? We are um, demanding that we have a chance to speak with Snow today by phone. Um, we want her to address that she has um, stated that her reason for supporting the war is Colin Powell's address to the UN. She stated, I believe, that it was a clear and convincing argument for war, but those um, arguments were almost immediately refuted as being false and also um, fabricated. And so we want to have Snow acknowledge this, as well as we're demanding that she comes back to Maine to meet with her constituents in a forum to discuss how we really feel, because we're not truly being represented now. We're willing to stay until we can speak to Snow. So as long as that takes, we're willing to stay here. Yeah, we're hoping to get scheduled in. <laughs> Hopefully that she can find some time. We've asked for them to send a note to um, Senator Snow. She's in session, so she's on the floor. Um, we feel that this is important enough that she should get a note to know what's going on in her office, that if she has not yet been contacted, she will not be calling, she will not be calling us, we've just heard. It's been my experience, the people going through times of social change don't realize their own importance to history. For instance, the people that went through the civil rights movements did not, at that time, see themselves as the heroes we see them as today. When you're in the midst of a social movement, the ending isn't clear, and we're painfully aware of our own weaknesses and the terrible damage caused by the injustices we fight. Today, we gather to talk about how the war affects children and youth. I will discuss the impact on the young in Iraq, here at home, and in the global south. Despite our best efforts, despite the most unified worldwide protests ever seen, despite the condemnations of France, Germany, Russia, China, and most of the countries in the world, and despite the explicit lack of authority from the United Nations, our government attacked Iraq in what can only be called, under international law, an illegal war of aggression. There was one sign today that I saw that I think was maybe the most eloquent sign here, and it was on the back of a two-year-old. And the sign said, let's just say we're sorry and bring the troops home. Activists from around the state are gathering today at Senator Olympia Snow's office in Bangor to call for an end to the military occupation of Iraq. They are delivering a letter with hundreds of signatures and are asking for the senator to conduct a public meeting with her constituents on the U.S. war. Neither Senator Snow or Collins have agreed to such a meeting at this point. Representatives Allen and Mishu have. This is the seventh visit activists have made to congressional offices across the state in what they call the Frequent Visit Program. And you have turned us into liberals. And we're not the type of liberals you like because we will vote you out. Yeah, that's that's name. My name is Vic Kraft. Where are you from? 
Bangor. You're a veteran? Yes. Okay. Ten years service. You can look at my car. Okay. I'm recording for WERU, a community radio station. We're recording on the other end. Is there anything else that you'd like to say? I came here because my son just got back from Baghdad, and he's become a conscript. He's waiting because even so he gets out in five months, he still will be sent back over because he's a medic. He's being sent to a war that has no sense at all, that made no sense, and we went to on a big lie, and it's a pity. It's a pity that he had to go. I fought in the Cold War. I was at Loring Air Force Base, one of the largest nuclear weapon bases ever. It's part of the Sandista project. I don't even think many people know much about it. Mm -hmm. My father fought in World War II. My son now went and fought a war 11 days after graduating from college because he thought it was a war on terrorism. Instead, he got pulled into a fight which has nothing to do about anything. This has nothing to do with 9-11. It has nothing to do with bin Laden. And they're all lying to us, and we're sick of being lied to. Got any questions? I'll answer it. And what is your message to, to Snow there today? Impeach the president of the United States. We should be able to impeach a man because he has lied and killed 2,000 of our youth. It's wrong. I mean, you know, you're taking the people that fought for this country, that defended this country, and you're turning them in. I mean, I can't even fly the American flag anymore, and I used to be the commander of the Bangor American Legion. That's sad. That's what this man's done. It's a disgrace. I mean, he's a coward. The guy misses a test because he's got cocaine in his system, and he won't even admit to that. Cheney takes 12 deferments and won't even go to war, and my son is over there fighting for these people. And it's not right. And what does he have? He, he's back here now with post-traumatic stress at Polk, Louisiana, and he probably will be sent back. And that makes me sick, that we'll have a coward in the presidency that should be impeached. So what am I saying to Olympia Snow? Impeach. Those were some post-9-11 memories on Main Currents today, pulled from our coverage here on WERU in the years following the event. Looking ahead to this coming Saturday, the 20th anniversary of 9-11, a longstanding Black Lives Matter weekly rally in Bucksport will be shifting gears slightly. We have just a couple of minutes for organizer David Wieda to fill us in. Welcome, David. Thank you, Amy. It's great to be on WERU with you. And this is an important thing for us to be announcing because we've been demonstrating for a full year on the bridge between Bucksport and Verona Island. And these have been peaceful demonstrations. The focus initially was on the Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, we wanted to have a local response for people in the region to not have to travel to big cities somewhere else in Maine to stand in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. But we learned early on that, you know, you start connecting all of the dots in our current culture and you realize that there's a real need to show solidarity for such important issues that are going to help us build a progressive and uh, sustainable future for all of us that are facing the situation that we're in culturally right now. So uh, Saturday, September 11th, we're actually going to have our peaceful weekly demonstration on that bridge between Bucksport and Verona Island. We're gonna start at, at 10.15, kind of an unusual time, but uh, there's um, some stories out and about in the area that lead us to believe that there's a group of people who call themselves patriots who will be coming through Bucksport on their way to some uh, rallies that they're holding later in the day in the towns of freedom, liberty, and unity. In fact, uh, they're using those three town names in their uh, promotional piece for their road rally coming out of Brewer. 
So we want to have a big crowd on that bridge on Saturday, September 11th, as we memorialize the 9-11 terrorism that struck our nation 20 years ago and honor the heroes that were involved in that uh, response effort and remember the heroes that died that day. Uh, as we tie it all into this notion of standing up for progress and for hospitality and welcoming immigrants and all of the things that we tie into our weekly demonstrations. You know, we do this with civility and compassion and love, trying to spread the word that uh, people in this area do not stand by when fascism creeps in or when uh, misogyny or xenophobia and certainly racism. So I'm inviting people throughout the area to join us on Saturday, September 11th at 10.15 in the morning on the bridge in Bucksport, the bridge between Bucksport and Verona Island, not the big bridge, the little bridge out of Bucksport. Uh, bring your own signs. We're encouraging signs that could be just white poster board with a big red heart to show that you're standing for love. Um, if you wanna branch off into any of the specific social issues that you're standing for, um, it's perfectly legit to show up as a grassroots activist with a sign that says you are against systemic racism, you're against misogyny, you're against homophobia. And let's join with peace and love to show the people on this road rally that uh, they're traveling through a state where there are many people working for compassion and love and the better interests of our unified future. The best way for to keep track of, of what we're doing and get uh, any updates on time schedule would be to simply visit our Facebook page, and that is Solidarity Bucksport. Find our Facebook page there, and you can also send us an email if you'd like to be uh, in touch with us through email communications, and we do send out notices uh, every week for our demonstrations that are scheduled, and that is SolidarityBucksport at gmail.com. Welcome anybody in the area to please join us. Thank you very much, David Wieda, one of the organizers of the event that you were just hearing about. That's all the time we have today on Maine Currents, Independent Local News, Views, and Culture. I'm your host, Amy Brown. Catch us on the first Tuesday of every month now from 4 to 5 p.m. And you can catch our archived programs or subscribe to podcasts at weru.org. Keep it tuned here to Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online at weru.org. And don't forget the WERU smartphone app.